Today on The Detail, the fire that brought a city to a near standstill. It's been almost 29 hours and Sky City's International Convention Centre is still burning. The huge blaze that engulfed the unfinished Sky City International Convention Centre continues to burn in central Auckland. Our best advice to people is uh, not to get caught up in the congestion, not to go into town and if you're living in the area, turn off your air conditioning, close the doors, close the windows. Firefighters made the call to sacrifice the roof to save the building and while that plan seems to be working, it's brought Auckland's CBD to a halt for a second. It's so complicated. If, from what we're hearing, it's burning within a cavity, they can't get water into that cavity because it's a waterproof roof. The firefighters have got a real struggle on their hands. It's yet another setback for the convention centre, which is already two years behind its completion date. And there's concern that today's fire may have sent that schedule up in smoke. This fire is finally doing what it is supposed to. The regional fire service manager just gave a briefing. He used the words, we are winning the battle against this blaze. And at 1pm yesterday, two days after it broke out, the fire service declared it under control. Kia ora, I'm Anna Thomas, filling in for Sharon Brett Kelly. It's been a heartbreaking week for so many involved in the building and construction of the multi-million dollar Sky City Convention Centre. Today on The Detail, we look at the centre's chequered past, its present and the future. The salvage operation from here is going to be incredibly complex, possibly even more so than the original design. It was to be the largest project of its kind in New Zealand history, a major asset for the country, attracting large-scale events to our shores. Plans were for 32,000 square metres of space, more than 1,300 car parks and a five-star, 300-room hotel. This week's fire has thrown everything into chaos. 2021 is one hang of a year for Auckland. We've got the America's Cup in March and we've got APEC in November. So the pressure is on Auckland to, um, you know, to to get the facilities, the amenities and the infrastructure in place. And we just don't need this. Hundreds of workers have watched three years of hard work go up in smoke. Businesses across the city have been affected and the future remains uncertain. But the company remains positive. Now, Sky City's boss says the fire ravaged centre will rise like a phoenix from the ashes. And the goals of the casino operator and Fletcher building remain the same, to finish an iconic building for Auckland and New Zealand. The project, though, was mired in controversy well before the first sod of dirt was turned. Construction is underway on Sky City's highly controversial International Convention Centre. Prime Minister John Key was there for the turning of the sod at the site in central Auckland. It's taken four years to get to this point, following criticism of the deal for Sky City to build the centre in exchange for being allowed to operate more pokey machines. To say this has been a long time in the waiting is probably a minor understatement, but it's been a wait that's been worth having. The $700 million project is expected to be completed in 2019. That was 2015, and the International Convention Centre woes continued. Budget blowouts, project delays, having to replace dodgy cladding pushed the project's completion date out to beyond 2019. But by mid this year, construction was looking good. That was until Tuesday, when disaster struck. You could just see everything coming together. Uh, We were literally signing off hotel rooms. Uh, and you could see the internal shape of the uh, convention centre. The seats were, were pretty much going into the arena. And uh, I left the site very buoyed and very excited. And literally two to three hours later, uh, got the message that uh, it, there was a fire. Now, obviously, you hear fire and you think uh, something different to what I saw. 
At its peak, 150 firefighters and 30 fire appliances from as far south as Hamilton battled the blaze in the $700 million convention centre. It sent a haze of smoke over Auckland, closing major roads and businesses and causing the evacuation of many buildings, including hotels. Uh, The intention was to sacrifice the roof area uh, in order to be able to put people safely uh, into the building to extinguish it. While officials refuse to speculate on how the fire started, workers believe an unattended blowtorch could have ignited the straw-like acoustic layer, quickly spreading to the roof's bitumen membrane. Why is it burning for so long? How can it burn for so long? What's fueling it? So it's an interesting uh, roof. It's made up of uh, bitumen, uh, compressed straw and, and plywood and it's all compressed together, so it's, uh, whilst it may not look like it, it's actually kind of a bit of a slow burn on the inside and, and a surface burn on the out. Uh, it's a very large roof. It's a very large building. It's got a, a huge footprint. Um, our ability to access the, the building from a point of view of safety, we can't put people on the roof uh, because it's not designed to put that sort of weight on there, and we, we can't put people under the roof while it is burning for the same safety reasons. Stuart Harris is the CEO of the fire engineering consultancy firm Homes Fire. They specialise in fire safety engineering solutions. I asked him how the building's design and the materials used helped or hindered the blaze. So in terms of the building code, the key things around that are ensuring that occupants can get out safely. Uh, so responding to fires, historic fires, there's been a lot of measures put in to make sure that materials don't burn quickly. So going back... Many of t- many times in history, there's things like nightclub fires where they've had cl- internal linings that have spread from one end to the other in two minutes, and the occupants have been caught out by it. So most of the measures are around rapid fire spread and preventing that. So what we're seeing here is the opposite of that, which is a very long, slow fire, incredibly difficult for the firefighters to contain, but actually in terms of life safety of the people who are in the space, they didn't get caught out, they had time to evacuate, and it didn't affect their safety to the same degree it would if it was a really fast fire. So what sort of materials did they use? I, I haven't had any involvement in the project. All I've heard is what's in the news around it being an insulation that's burning. Um, but what they will have had to do is avoid things like having ex, you know, huge amounts of exposed timber or exposed plastics. Um, it's those materials which tend to burn faster and hotter than something like this, which seems to be largely a, a long, smouldering, growing fire, but, but it's... It, less intense than you would see from some other types. So if they hadn't had this various materials, um, then the fire could have been a lot worse. I mean, how worse could it have been? Well, I think when we talk about worse, I mean, it's, it's in, in terms of the firefighting operation, what you're seeing down there is incredibly complex. Um, you know, to, to extinguish it's very, very difficult. But in terms of the people who were in the building, you know, there were no reports of any of the construction workers getting injured by fire. I think that's the key thing to focus on. In the wake of the Grenfell Tower disaster, uh, a lot of the cladding was removed actually from the convention centre and a whole lot of other buildings obviously around New Zealand and around the world. There was a design to put aluminium composite panel cladding 
on the New Zealand International Convention Centre. When it became apparent after the Grenfell uh, Towers uh, tragedy in London that uh, these panels uh, in some cases have highly flammable polyethylene cores where basically plastic drips onto fire and fuels it, uh, Sky City Entertainment Group made the very um, wise decision not to apply that type of cladding to the convention centre. Had that cladding still been there, what could have happened and how, how much worse could this have been? I don't know that it would have made a huge difference. The fire is largely up above where cladding is, so it would be, be different, but I, I don't know that it would have affected key things like life safety of the people in the building. What can we learn for this fire? I mean, we've never seen anything quite as bad as this this fire. What can we learn from it? I think when we say bad, I mean, it, what's bad about it is that it's incredibly complex to extinguish and it's taking a long, long time. But in, certainly in terms of fires in the country, it's nothing compared to um, Ballantyne's fire in Christchurch we had. I mean, that's a long time ago. But in terms of severity of fire, that would still be up there as being far more of a problematic fire than this one. So in terms of lessons learned, it might come down to something around combustible ventilation. But I think there won't be a lot of lessons in that space. It has been burning for so long. Can you walk me through a building like this and what goes on in a fire like this? Key things here will be, you know, the fire brigade in there trying to do what they can do. Um, There are things which they are limited by largely around their personal safety. And so in a building as expansive as this, they will be struggling to get access to all of the roof, you know, they, they can't just, in a commercial house, you can just walk up and, you know, get on a short ladder and you can get at the ceiling and get at the insulation. But here it's so far above the ground, they'll be struggling to get up to it. Um, we've seen comments about them being concerned about the collapse of the roof, therefore they're not putting people on the roof. It makes perfect sense. And so those are things which are going to be hindering the ability for for the fire brigade to, to do what they need to do. When we're constructing a um, you know, convention centre or something of this size, what are some of the things that we should be looking at doing? I would expect that the fire design for this building is pretty robust. You know, it's gone through, it will have gone through all its peer reviews, and so I would expect it's got the typical systems you'd see of a complex building like this in terms of the fire alarms, the sprinkler systems and smoke management systems. It, it, but it's, the building is still under construction, so you need to understand that lots of those systems are going to be installed but either aren't yet finished or haven't yet been installed. And so in a completed building, those would all be there. It's just that what you're seeing is a, a construction site on fire. The fact that the building is under construction uh, doesn't help. It's not a completed building. Uh, some of the passive protection is not there and some of the active protection that you would expect for fire in this type of building is not there either. So that that adds to the complication of it. And you wouldn't normally expect any sort of fire sprinkler systems in a construction site like that? No, I mean, there's practical limitations to the point at which you can have them installed and commissioned. So even if they wanted to, to you know, have them ready as soon as possible, um, there's a point at which it's just not, it's just too soon. They're doing everything right. I can't see anything that jumps out as me as being, as being wrong. I mean, they've got plenty of people on the ground. They've got seem to have all the right people on the ground. I can't see any issues with what they're doing. From your point of view, it seems to be a complete, you know, a, a, a robust building. It would have met all the fire safety standards, possibly even higher than what's required. I think the three key principles of the building code when it comes to fire is not spreading fire to your neighbour, uh, protecting the safety of the occupants and protecting the safety of the firefighters. And so, you know, we've seen the fire hasn't spread to the neighbouring buildings. The smoke spread, but not actual fire spread. 
you know, the firefighters have got a real challenge on their hands, but it's not a building that's collapsing underneath them as they're trying to deal with it. Uh, and certainly in terms of the occupants of the building, even though it wasn't completed, we didn't see the, the construction workers getting trapped by the fire or getting caught out by it. So in that regard, I would be surprised if they came out and said there were some mass problems with compliance with the building code. One thing that has been a bit of speculation on is what it looks like from here on in on the construction site. Um, you know, they've clearly got a massive problem now in terms of they've got a building that was fairly well advanced. They're going to have to undo a certain extent of what they've they have built. There'll also be, you know, water damage extensively through the building, and there'll be a lot of work in terms of understanding which parts of the building they can salvage and which parts they can't. Um, and and that will be a challenge in itself of trying, particularly things like steel and concrete, of saying actually. And, you know, are they are they still straight? But also, have they been heat affected, and have the materials lost some of their strength? And so, that will not be an easy thing to, for them to ascertain, let alone just actually physically removing those damaged materials. It would be easier to clear the site as opposed to you know put a lot of money into figuring out whether or not um, things are salvageable. I think the the salvage operation from here is going to be incredibly complex, possibly even more so than the original design. Um, today we've had a um, short discussion around uh, when it might likely be that we'd have more information around the damage uh, done inside the um, convention centre. Uh, we simply won't know for some time the extent of the damage. Obviously it's up to fire and emergency to get the building into a place where it can be re-entered. Um, that's obviously going to take um, a, a few more days yet. Uh, from that point, we would have an expectation, once it's safe, um, that there'll be those who will wish to investigate uh, uh, what occurred here and also engineers who will need to check the safety of the building. Uh, assessments then will flow from there around how long it will take to do the remedial work required to get the building back on track and to completion. You know the forest, the painted glass panels, they look basically intact and all the water's being um, yeah, sprayed over them and they look absolutely fine. Is that, is, does that surprise you? If the glass is intact, that suggests that the heat around them hasn't got terribly great. Uh, you know, glass, if you get too hot or particularly if it gets um, very big thermal gradients through it, will break and disappear. Um, and so that suggests to me that the fire hasn't got terribly hot near where they are. And, and, and what you're seeing is that the fire is largely staying up in the roof um, and it's been huge amounts of smoke, but we haven't seen you know, 30, 40, 50 metre high flames out the top of it as if it was a you know, massive warehouse fire with incredibly high temperatures. We have breaking news out of Paris. We're getting word of what appears to be a fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral. You can see the smoke in these pictures. You can see the flames shooting out of the roof. Tell me about how this fire compares with something like uh, Notre Dame. So something like Notre Dame, that fire there w was far more intense. So if you see footage of that, there were enormous flames, which gives you an idea of the intensity of the fire. Much greater heat release, much greater temperatures, and so there would be a lot more damage to the structure itself. Here what we're seeing is flaming over a long, long period of time, but we didn't see flames licking up through the sky. We saw flames of you know more like 10 metres high, not 40, 50, 100 metres up in the air. I mean, we hear stories about the fact that rose windows in Notre Dame were saved. I mean, that must come down only to the, the impact of the firefighters at the time using the water effectively to, to protect them. And, and we're seeing something similar with this fire here. A lot of the glass panels are still being, you know, not, have yeah. not been affected. So that would be two things. One will be the firefighters putting water on them to help keep them cool. And secondly, the fact the fire isn't as intense as, not, as the likes of Notre Dame, where we're not getting massive temperatures impacting on, those, on that glass work. Would you call this a massive blaze? How would you compare it? I think that 
the wording we use needs to be careful. I mean, we, if you're comparing it to something like the Ballantines fire, which was, you know, burnt the building from top to bottom and burnt very quickly and, and, and consequently there was massive loss of life, I think you can't be comparing it to that. That's not in the same scale. In terms of f- firefighting complexity, incredibly tough. In terms of duration of fire, it's very long. But in t- if you're measuring it by intensity of fire, it wouldn't come up to any of those standards. So take us through the steps now, once the fire is out. So once the fire is out, so the fire, fire brigade has control of the building while it's a, while it's a fire, uh, and so they will maintain that for a period of time after the fire is out. They'll be watching for things flaring up again. There'll be a period of investigation from from the from the fire brigade perspective. Um, at some point, that will get handed back to the construction company and, and Sky City, um, at which point there'll be... A, some assessment, I'm sure the insurers will get involved as to what do we do next and where do we go, um, expecting then there'll be an extended period where they work out what to do before they start actually deconstructing anything, salvaging what they can, um, and at that point making a plan to go forwards. What sort of time frame are you looking at? It wouldn't surprise me if it was a, a month or two before they started any significant deconstruction and then a longer period again after that before any reconstruction takes place. Realistically, when do you think that they'll be able to clear the site and actually start rebuilding? That's going to depend on what they find. They've got a lot of work to do to work out what to do before they can really start putting timeframes on it. Any chance would you would you like to, to wager on whether it's going to be ready for APEC? I wouldn't like to. What I will say is regardless of that timeline, APEC in 2021 will still be held in Auckland. There is no question there. Uh, simply what is in question now is where it will be uh, hosted in terms of building. With complex uh, events like APEC, of course, as a government, you always have contingency. We have contingency. We are ready to trigger it if required. Uh, and so essentially it's a matter of waiting till we're in a position to determine uh, which building will be hosting uh, these meetings and events. But the question of APEC in 2021 is not in question. What are we going to learn from this? What can we take away from this? I think there's going to be some really interesting learnings around how you how you deconstruct and reconstruct a partly completed building. Um, you know, there are going to be some incredibly unusual aspects. There'll be heaps to learn. And it, of a scale that we I don't think we've really seen before, some very interesting case studies to come out of it. Any thoughts of what they might be or what, what direction it might go in? The logistics of it are going to be the tricky part. It's around understanding what what can be salvageable and how they how they determine that will be what's what's I think particularly interesting from an engineering perspective. Have you seen anything like it in your career? I mean, the the post earthquake recovery in Christchurch has some elements which are similar. You know, there's been elements there where they've had buildings that are still standing where they've had to go and understand are the structural components still strong enough, even though they look kind of straight and in place, have they actually been fatigued enough that they are damaged? And so similar things, but from a structural viewpoint, we'll, we'll have similar conversations to be had here from a fire view, viewpoint as well. Right, so it is kind of like an earthquake. In terms of the damage to the building, yeah, absolutely. The building is, has used up a fair bit of its strength and, and capacity, and it's just what's left in the pieces that are still standing. That's the detail for today. I'm Anna Thomas. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ's NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. Kakitiano.